Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our Pali Canon in English study group where we study the words of the Buddha. You're welcome to join along with us in our study program here where we're going to be studying the teachings of the Buddha moving into a brand new book. We're moving into volume seven, which is titled Breathing Mindfulness Meditation. This is where you're learning the teachings from the Buddha of what it takes to develop a breathing mindfulness meditation practice. You'll be able to learn from his own words where he'll be sharing with you all the various aspects of breathing mindfulness meditation, including things like how to develop the four foundations of mindfulness, the seven factors of enlightenment, and moving the mind to enlightenment with breathing mindfulness meditation. Of course, you're going to need more than just breathing mindfulness meditation in order to get to enlightenment, but you would need breathing mindfulness meditation to get to enlightenment. You can't meditate your way to enlightenment, but you also wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation either. So we're going to be starting this book and over a series of weeks, we're going to be exploring a collection and consolidated version of Gautama Buddha's teachings on breathing mindfulness meditation in his own words, which is so important to learn with the Buddha's words, because as you learn with his words, you'll see what he did teach and what he didn't teach. The way we typically start this program is we start with a brief meditation to prepare the mind, and then that way you're able to retain the teachings for a longer period of time. But there are some classes where I don't actually do that because we're either starting a new book or the content is fairly long and we need to read through all those chapters in order to be able to learn them and then give you guys the opportunity to ask questions on them. So today we're starting a new book and the chapters are actually quite extensive. So we're going to need that time in order to study the chapters today. So I'm going to be foregoing meditation. But of course, the vast majority of the people who are studying in this program are developing a meditation practice or already have a meditation practice developed. So that's something that you guys should be doing on your own as your own independent practice. We just do it here in class for about 10 minutes or so just to kind of prepare the mind. But those are things that you can be doing on your own as part of your own independent practice. So let's use our time today to move right into the teachings and share the teachings that are going to help you to be able to understand what the Buddha taught related to breathing mindfulness meditation in his own words. So I'll read these chapters for you guys and then as you have questions you'll be able to ask those. What I'm going to do is read the chapter, then I'm going to share some teachings on that chapter, and then open up to any and all questions that you might have related to that specific chapter. So let's start with chapter one. The title is Great Fruit and Benefit of Breathing Mindfulness Meditation, Anapadana Monks, 
Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit. And how, monks, is mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, developed and cultivated, so that it is of great fruit and benefit? Here, monks, a monk having gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, straightened his body, and set up mindfulness in front of him. Just mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Breathing in long, he knows, I breathe in long. Or, breathing out long, he knows, I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he knows, I breathe in short. Or, breathing out short, he knows, I breathe out short. He trains thus, experiencing the whole body, I will breathe in. He trains thus, experiencing the whole body, I will breathe out. He trains thus, calming the bodily sensations, I will breathe in. He trains thus, calming the bodily sensations, I will breathe out. He trains thus, experiencing joy, I will breathe in. He trains thus, experiencing joy, I will breathe out. He trains thus, experiencing peacefulness, I will breathe in. He trains thus, experiencing peacefulness, I will breathe out. He trains thus, experiencing the mental activity, I will breathe in. He trains thus, experiencing the mental activity, I will breathe out. He trains thus, calming the mental activity, I will breathe in. He trains thus, calming the mental activity, I will breathe out. He trains thus, experiencing the mind, I will breathe in. He trains thus, experiencing the mind, I will breathe out. He trains thus, gladdening the mind, I will breathe in. He trains thus, gladdening the mind, I will breathe out. He trains thus, concentrating the mind, I will breathe in. He trains thus, concentrating the mind, I will breathe out. He trains thus, liberating the mind, I will breathe in. He trains thus, liberating the mind, I will breathe out. He trains thus, reflecting on impermanence, I will breathe in. He trains thus, reflecting on impermanence, I will breathe out. He trains thus, reflecting on fading away, I will breathe in. He trains thus, reflecting on fading away, I will breathe out. He trains thus, reflecting on elimination, I will breathe in. He trains thus, reflecting on elimination, I will breathe out. He trains thus, reflecting on letting go, I will breathe in. He trains thus, reflecting on letting go, I will breathe out. It is, monks, when mindfulness of breathing breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated in this way that it is of great fruit and benefit. When, monks, mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation has been developed and cultivated in this way, one of two fruits may be predicted, either final knowledge, wisdom, in this very life, or, if there is a residue of clinging, the state of non-returner. Okay, I'm going to share this chapter with you and help you to understand what it is that the Buddha is teaching here. 
First, what I'd like to point out is what he's sharing here in the last paragraph, which is that when you develop breathing mindfulness meditation, that there's one of two benefits that could be predicted. One is final knowledge. Final knowledge is enlightenment. By the time you get to enlightenment, you will have fully eradicated the ignorance of the mind or this unknowing of true reality, and you would have fully cultivated wisdom, which means you'll fully understand the path to enlightenment, and you fully transform the mind, and now the mind no longer experiences any discontent feelings. You would have cultivated final knowledge of how to eliminate the 10 fetters, and you would have done so. So the Buddha is explaining that breathing mindfulness meditation leads to enlightenment in this very life. Or if there is a residue of clinging, meaning if there's a little bit of clinging that's still left, the state of non-returner. This is the third stage of enlightenment. So if you fall short of enlightenment, then a being is in this third stage of enlightenment, experiencing significant amount of contentedness, peacefulness, and joy, but there's still occasional discontentedness here and there. This being is going to be reborn into the heavenly realm and attain enlightenment from that realm. But you're not interested in just sacrificing and kind of, you know, not getting to enlightenment and accepting this particular stage because you're not going to necessarily know that you're in the third stage of enlightenment 100%. So rather than that, Go for enlightenment and set your sights on final knowledge where you can eliminate all the fetters and actually get to enlightenment, experiencing peace and joy for the rest of this life. Because in that third stage of enlightenment, you're still going to be occasionally experiencing discontentedness. So that means during your life, you still are experiencing discontentedness. So you would like to get to the point where you've attained enlightenment in this life and no longer experiencing any discontentedness so that you can enjoy the rest of this life in that mental state. Now let me share with you what the Buddha is talking about here with his meditation and the guidance that he's providing in terms of what he's teaching you about how to actually meditate. First, he's saying, going to the forest, to the foot of a tree, an empty hut, you sit down. So during the lifetime of the Buddha, this is where he would guide people to meditate because the forest was a bit more quiet. There was also a lot of fears people have of the forest. So going into the forest to meditate, one could eliminate those fears. Then they could sit at the foot of a tree or in an empty hut. And the Buddha taught four different positions for meditation, seated, lying, standing, and walking. But the seated position is one where people tend to learn. It's a primary position to learn breathing mindfulness meditation and all other forms of meditation. So he would teach seated meditation, but then there's also lying, standing, and walking for various reasons. And if you've studied any foundational programs or courses or retreats with me, then you've heard me share the details on those four positions and how you might decide to use them. Then he talks about Having folded his legs crosswise, he straightens his body and sets up mindfulness in front of him. What he's talking about here, of course, is lightly crossing your legs so that you can allow the circulation to flow and then straighten the body or bring the body of the torso to erectness. Because if the body is slouched, then the mind has a tendency to be complacent. But if the upper body was real rigid, the mind would have a tendency to be uptight and overactive. So you'd like there to be some straightness or erectness to the upper body. Then he says here, set up mindfulness in front of him. And of course, he's 
speaking to males, but this applies to females as well. Setting up mindfulness in front of you is that you're setting up awareness of the mind. You're not interested in just plopping down into meditation and starting your meditation practice. Instead, you would like to bring this awareness to the mind. I teach chanting as a way to accomplish that, but there's other options that you could use as well. Because if you set up mindfulness in front of you before you start meditating, you're gonna start getting benefits in meditation right away from the very beginning. If you were to just plop down into meditation, it might take five, 10, 15 minutes for you to really be starting to get any benefits. And then not too long after that, you're actually going to end your meditation. So to get the full benefit of your meditation session, you'd like to bring some awareness of the mind as you ease into meditation. And if you'd like to use chanting, which is what I teach, you're welcome to use that. Or if you have some other techniques that you use to bring awareness to the mind, then use that and ease the mind down into meditation so you can get the most benefit out of the meditation itself. Then once you have the body set up and you're starting to bring this awareness to the mind, then you just breathe in and out. This is establishing the breath. And that's what the Buddha is teaching there. And he's also teaching it here as well, that you start establishing the breath. And as you establish the breath, you start fixating the mind on the breath itself. So that if you're breathing long, you know that you're breathing long. Or if you're breathing short, know that you're breathing short. And this was essentially focusing the mind on the breath as the fixated point of the mind, either the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. This is what you would like to do as your first starting meditation. Then there's this part here where the Buddha starts talking about the bodily sensations in the body. This is the part where he's describing to bring this awareness to the whole body and start calming the bodily sensations. So if you're having any tingling feelings in the body, if you're noticing any bodily sensations associated with discontentedness arising during meditation, as you experience the body, you should calm the bodily sensations, meaning cut them off and let them go. Oftentimes when you're in meditation, you might experience an itch and you feel this overwhelming urge to hurry up and itch it. But what you would like to do is stay focused on the breath so that you can reside unaffected by that bodily sensation that's occurring because of the itch. Then if you need to itch it after five seconds or so, go ahead and itch it. But next time, try to elongate that to eight, 10, 12 seconds and even longer all the way to the point where over multiple meditation sessions, you can see the entire life cycle of that itch, where it arises, it changes, and it fades away. But also while you're in meditation, particularly early in practice, you're gonna have many different thoughts. And all these different thoughts can potentially be coming out of your cravings. Certain cravings could be in there. And as those are arising, you might notice the arising of bodily sensations associated with discontent feelings that are about to arise. This is taught as part of right mindfulness and the four foundations of mindfulness, that as you notice the bodily sensations, you'd like to cut them off and let them go because that's how you restrain the mind and ultimately eliminate the cravings, desires, attachments. And this is part of developing that four foundations of mindfulness where you need to understand and be able to be observant and aware of any bodily sensations, not only in meditation, but outside of meditation too. So you're training in meditation 
so that you can develop mindfulness and awareness of mind, concentration or focus, and then be able to restrain the mind and cut off and let go of the craving, desire, attachment. And the Buddha is starting to walk you through how to actually do that. As you start to do that, what you might notice is that there's this joy and peacefulness that comes into the mind. This is the qualities of the enlightened mind starting to shine through. Because if you allow those bodily sensations to occur, then the mind's going to next get the feeling of frustration or anger or some other discontent feeling. So those bodily sensations are an indication for you to be able to cut off and let go of any discontentedness that's arising before it becomes a feeling in the mind. And then you save yourself a whole lot of difficulties and troubles. It's kind of like if you were to take a boat from America to the UK and you're out in the middle of the water, you would like to prevent the water from ever coming into the boat because once the water comes in, you've got a real problem to deal with. The same thing is once you allow the anger to come into the mind, you've got a real problem to deal with. So if you can cut it off and let it go as a bodily sensation, you've saved yourself a whole lot of difficulties. And again, as you do that, you're retraining the mind to not experience conditioned feelings. Because as long as you allow the mind to continue to get conditioned feelings, you're not going to be able to get to this unconditioned mental state of enlightenment. So as you're doing what the Buddha describes here in meditation, which is you're cutting off and letting go of bodily sensations, you might notice this unconditioned joy or this peacefulness starting to shine through in the mind, which are qualities of the enlightened mind. Then as you notice mental activity, what you would like to do is you would like to also cut that off and let that go. That's any thoughts that are arising during meditation. In meditation, if there's any thoughts whatsoever that are arising, you cut them off and let them go, bringing the mind back to the breath. Realizing that you will never eliminate thoughts, that's not the actual goal of meditation. Your goal is to be able to notice when there is a thought and more and more readily cut that off and let it go and bring the mind back to the breath. Even in the enlightened mental state, there's occasional thoughts that you might experience in meditation. You'll have periods of quietness and stillness maybe three minutes, five minutes here and there, but eventually there'll be a thought even when the mind's enlightened. So your goal isn't to eliminate thoughts. Your goal is to let go of the thoughts as they're arising. So if 20 times, 30 times, 50 times during your meditation, you're letting go and letting go and letting go and letting go. This is training the mind to be able to let go of any thoughts that are arising. And in meditation, you're doing this with all thoughts. But then in daily life, you're only cutting off and letting go of unwholesome thoughts. Like if you're in a relationship and a thought comes up to go out and be with another person, you know that will cause harm to your relationship and to your partner, so you'd like to cut that off and let it go. Or if you come outside and you see a scratch on your car and you start to notice that there's bodily sensations associated with frustration or anger that's arising, you'd like to cut that off and let it go. You're protecting the mind, restraining the mind, eliminating craving, desire, attachment. So as this mental activity is occurring and you're experiencing that, cut it off and let it go. Here the words the Buddha is using is calming the mental activity because you can't eliminate it 100%. But in other teachings that he shares, other discourses, he uses the language cut off and let go or just cut off is what he says. He says cut off the thoughts. I usually add the let go because it helps people to understand what you're trying to accomplish. So now as you're calming the mental activity during the 
breathing mindfulness meditation and you're starting to notice a bit of stillness, as you start experiencing the various quality of the mind and you start to notice the condition of the mind, then you would like to gladden the mind, concentrate the mind, and liberate the mind. This is uplifting the mind. So by you gladdening the mind, it's going to uplift the mind. Sometimes when you're in meditation, you might feel this disgruntledness or this lethargic condition or dullness coming into the mind. Or it just doesn't want to be there. It wants to be somewhere else. That's where you need to uplift it with this gladdening of the mind. And then you're concentrating the mind on the, on the breath either the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving over the skin. And this is helping to liberate the mind of any kind of discontent feelings that are occurring. Because as long as you allow the mind to get those conditioned feelings, then it's going to keep doing that over and over and over and over again. So by restraining the mind, not allowing it to get those conditioned feelings, you can liberate the mind of any feelings that are occurring. This is the conditioned feelings. Then as you're in meditation and you're noticing different lighting, different sounds, different smells or odors, different things like this that are occurring all due to impermanence, oftentimes the mind is sitting in meditation experiencing this impermanence and you might get frustrated because you hear a sound. Maybe someone's playing music or there's a baby crying or there's a car honking their horn or something like this. What you need to do in those situations is remind yourself that this horn is impermanent or that baby crying is impermanent and just cut off and let go and bring the mind back to the breath. Rather than allow the mind to follow and chase after that baby crying or the horn honking. So rather than being in meditation and just letting your mind run towards that, instead remind yourself and understand that that is impermanent reside unaffected and bring the mind back to the breath because this is the whole challenge that the unenlightened mind is experiencing in daily life is there's all this impermanence happening around you and now when you go out into the world you're affected by all this impermanence and you're trying to train your mind in meditation to be unaffected by any impermanence that is arising that way in daily life your mind will be better trained to be able to deal with any impermanence and eventually you can get liberated from all those strong feelings. And that's what the Buddha is describing here, that as you're understanding impermanence and training the mind to come back to the breath each time, that then there'll be this fading away of the strong feelings. And ultimately, you'll get to the elimination of strong feelings because you've trained the mind to let go. And that's what is going to ultimately lead to either enlightenment itself, which is final knowledge, or if you don't attain final knowledge in this very life, the state of non-returner. So if you stay dedicated and diligent and determined in your meditation practice, meditation of breathing mindfulness meditation is what's going to lead to your enlightenment. And of course, you need much more than meditation. That's why there's the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the core central teaching with meditation being one aspect of that path, but there's other aspects that you would need to fully get to enlightenment. So let me see what questions you guys have related to this first chapter in volume seven. You can put those questions into Facebook, YouTube, or in Zoom, and I'll be able to see those questions and answer them for you during our class. Okay, it looks like we have a question here coming in from Bruce. He shares, all of those training steps happen automatically without us actively focusing on any of those steps because that would be thinking. Is this the correct understanding? So 
Yes, but there's one aspect that I would share with you here, Bruce, is that these steps don't happen automatically. You need to actively train the mind to be able to do this, applying right effort, right? So you're right that you're not interested in thinking about each one of these steps because that would be the mind holding on and you're not liberated at that point. The mind hasn't let go. So what you would like to do is take something like this discourse and take it as if the Buddha is just sharing with you how to do meditation and then you go off and do it. It's kind of like when you were a child, your parents had to teach you to brush your teeth and they stood right there with you. They put on the toothpaste for you. They showed you how to hold your toothbrush. And as you were brushing your teeth, you had to remember to move back and forth and back and forth and how to actually brush your teeth. But then you just went out and you started doing it. Like right now, you don't think about every single stroke of brushing your teeth. You just do it because you know how to do it. And that's the same thing with this meditation is that you learn through the teachings that I share and those foundational programs like the group learning program. I go through point by point and teach you how to meditate. And then in the guidance that I give, I consolidate the instruction during meditation to help you understand all of those things that the Buddha just shared, I help you to accomplish that through a consolidated guidance. And then as you learn that, then you just go off and do it. You don't need to think about each one of those statements, but you're going to need to apply effort to actually do it since it doesn't happen automatically. And then Bruce has another question here. He says, when peace and joy arise in the mind during meditation, do we also cut them off and return to the breath? like we do with thoughts, feelings, and so on. So if peace and joy, if it's unconditioned peace and joy, you're not going to be able to cut it off because it's unconditioned. There's no condition that's creating it. So that will just permeate in the mind. But if it's a conditioned feeling like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, you'll cut that off and let it go. But by the time you get to these unconditioned mental qualities, not just the peace and joy and the calmness and things like that, but also things like loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, all of these unconditioned mental qualities, you're not going to actually be able to cut them off if they're truly unconditioned. So if you have something arise, you can sit there and try to cut it off because if it's a conditioned feeling, it'll work. But don't be surprised if you're trying to cut off the peace and joy and it doesn't go anywhere. It just stays there because that would be the unconditioned peace and joy. And that's what is going to continue to permeate in the mind. And then here's some more from Bruce. If I find that my mind wanders off the sensation of the breath coming and going out of the nose a lot during meditation, I have been following the beginning of the in-breath its peak and it's fading away and also the pause at the end before doing the same with exhaling it seems to focus my mind better and for longer is this okay yes this is what you would like to do you'd like to follow the entire breath gradually coming in through the nose and then it comes in and it's the inhale and then there's that little gap in between where you're not breathing you're not inhaling or exhaling and you can observe that gap and then you just gradually exhale out and then you get to the bottom of that breath and you see that gap there at the bottom and you just notice that it's there and then you breathe in gradually this is the type of meditation that you'd like to get to so if that's what you're doing bruce that's exactly what you would like to accomplish okay i'm not seeing any other questions here 
anywhere on any of our platforms. So let's go ahead and move into the other chapters that we have, which is the next one is chapter two. And you can see here, there's a lot of information that I'm sharing as part of this chapter, right? I just would like to point this out to you guys that you've got the words of the Buddha here, which are quite extensive. And then you've got the reference to the original source teachings back in the Pali Canon, in case you'd like to go see that. And then you've got words from me that are helping you to understand this. And I can't teach all of these words in a particular class. So it's really important that you're reading and you're coming to class. So either read before and or after class. If for some reason you never read, you still should come to class, but you're gonna get so much more benefit if you're reading these books because it's got a lot more detail. And then if you've read these books, then when we're in class, we can actually go a lot deeper into the teachings rather than just dealing with some of the surface things. So you can see there all that content that is going to be helpful for you to understand the words of the Buddha and get the benefit to be able to develop your practice and move closer to enlightenment. So this chapter two, it's titled Seven Predicted Fruits and Benefits of Breathing Mindfulness Meditation. Monks, Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit. And how, monks, is mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and benefit? Here, monks, a monk having gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, straightened his body, and set up mindfulness in front of him. Just mindful, he breathes in. Mindful, he breathes out. So here, this is repeating the same things that we just studied. So I'm gonna just scroll through this since we just read that. And I'm gonna get down here to the new part. It is, monks, when mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated in this way that it is of great fruit and benefit. When, monks, Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation has been developed and cultivated in this way. Seven fruits and benefits may be predicted. What are the seven fruits and benefits? One, one attains final knowledge early in this very life. So the Buddha already talked about this in the previous discourse. Two, if one does not attain final knowledge, wisdom, early in this very life, then one attains final knowledge or wisdom at the time of death. So this is where he's showing you that you can attain enlightenment during this life or you can attain it at death. The ideal would be to attain enlightenment during this life and then enjoy the rest of your life with that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. If you attain enlightenment at death, okay, that's probably the next best thing, but you would have lived your life with frustration and irritation your entire life. So you would like to attain enlightenment during your life and enjoy the rest of the life with that enlightened mental state. But if you do attain it at death, okay, at least there's not going to be rebirth, but you still live the life with discontentedness your entire life. Then three, if one does not attain final knowledge early in this very life or at the time of death, then with the complete destruction of the five lower fetters, one becomes an attainer of nibbana or enlightenment between one life and the next. So here he's showing you that you can actually attain enlightenment prior to being reborn into another life. And that's another option of what one could experience. 
Then he talks number four. If one does not attain final knowledge or wisdom early in this very life or at the time of death or become an attainer of Nibbana between one life in the next, then with the complete destruction of the five lower fetters, one becomes an attainer of Nibbana or enlightenment upon landing. That means as soon as one lands into the next life, they attain enlightenment from there. And that would be in the heavenly realm that they would end up accomplishing that as soon as they are reborn into the heavenly realm. Five, if one does not attain final knowledge early in this very life or at the time of death or become an attainer of Nibbana, enlightenment between one life and the next or become an attainer of Nibbana, enlightenment upon landing, then with the complete destruction of the five lower fetters, one becomes an attainer of Nibbana enlightenment without extra effort. So this is because when you're reborn into that new life, you can get to enlightenment without extra effort because there's residual memories that come from your previous life. So if in a previous life, an individual has been learning and practicing these teachings in their rebirth, they're going to be reborn because they have craving in their mind, but there's also residual memories that then come forward into the new mind. And then in this new life, one can get to enlightenment without extra effort or without struggle. And this can explain to you, if you find these teachings somewhat straightforward to be able to learn, this can be because you potentially had learned these teachings in a previous life. But you're not interested in allowing that to cultivate any kind of conceit or arise any conceit in the mind. Instead, just understand that that's why some people have more challenging time or less challenging time to be able to cultivate the mind on this path to enlightenment. Everybody needs to overcome the same obstacles in order to get to enlightenment, but some people might have done some of that work in a previous life, and this is why it's a bit easier for some people. Everybody comes to this path with various levels of pollutions in their mind, and they need to overcome those obstacles. And if you are training in this life, and you fall short of enlightenment and are reborn into a future life, then that work that you did in this life is going to benefit you in your future life. Number six, the Buddha is explaining all the same things, but then he says, then with the complete destruction of the five lower fetters, one becomes an attainer of Nibbana or enlightenment with extra effort. So in this situation, an individual needs to apply extra effort. And then the seventh one is all that same stuff. And then he says, then with the complete destruction of the five lower fetters, one becomes one bound upstream heading towards the heavenly realm. When monks, mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation has been developed and cultivated in this way, these seven fruits and benefits may be predicted. So the goal of Gautama Buddha's teachings is not to be reborn in heaven. The heavenly realm is still in the cycle of rebirth. Those beings still need to get to enlightenment. And because they're experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings, they're oftentimes reborn into other realms because they lack the motivation and determination and enthusiasm to be able to get to enlightenment. They're not experiencing the condition painful feelings or neither painful nor pleasant. Because they're only experiencing pleasant feelings, they tend to lack that built-in motivation that we have here in the human realm, those painful feelings and neither painful nor pleasant. That's what motivates us and tends to encourage us to move our way towards enlightenment. So 
here the Buddha is describing what's occurring because he's describing the natural laws of existence. But understand the goal is not to believe, 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 and then hope something good happens when you die. Instead, you're learning his teachings, you're reflecting on those teachings to independently verify them, and you're practicing them now in this life. And then you're experiencing the results in this life. You're noticing that the condition of the mind is gradually improving. So while this is described here, and you hear the Buddha talking about the heavenly realm in various places, that shouldn't be one's goal. Instead, focus on getting to arahantship or enlightenment in this life so that then you can end all the discontentedness. All the grief, pain, displeasure, and despair can be eliminated to get to the point where you don't even experience the slightest icky bad mood, but instead the mind is always in a good mood. That's because one has removed the pollutions of mind that are causing those bad moods or the disgruntledness or any kind of painful feelings in the mind. You can eliminate all those conditioned feelings and experience the peace and joy of the enlightened mental state. So let me see what questions you guys have here on this particular chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So we're going to move on to chapter 3, which a lot of these chapters are very similar today. So we're going to be skipping over certain portions of it. But let me read this for you. This one is, Cultivating mindfulness of breathing fulfills four foundations of mindfulness, seven factors of enlightenment, true wisdom, and liberation. This is where the Buddha is going to take you from breathing mindfulness meditation and showing you how it develops the four foundations of mindfulness, the seven factors of enlightenment, and then ultimately gets you to enlightenment itself. He's going to walk you through that whole process because this helps you to understand how important your breathing mindfulness meditation practice is so that you can eradicate any complacency and really work towards developing your meditation practice and moving the mind to enlightenment. There is, monks, one thing which, when developed and cultivated, fulfills four things, and four things which, when developed and cultivated, fulfills seven things, and seven things which, when developed and cultivated, fulfills two things. Concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation, monks, is the one thing which, when developed and cultivated, fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. The four foundations of mindfulness, when developed and cultivated, fulfills the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors of enlightenment, when developed and cultivated, fulfills true wisdom and liberation. Mindfulness of breathing fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. How, monks, is concentration by mindfulness of breathing Breathing mindfulness meditation developed and cultivated so that it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. Here, monks, a monk having gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, straightened his body, and set up mindfulness in front of him, just mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. So here the Buddha is going to go through that same part that we just read in the previous chapters. So now going all the way through and scrolling down, he's describing breathing mindfulness meditation and how to do it. Now he's explaining it again that, okay, once you're doing this work, 
Then he says here, he says, on that occasion, the monk resides reflecting on body as body, dedicated, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed craving and displeasure in regard to the world. So here he's explaining how doing this first part of his meditation that he's describing, which he's describing here, which is what I just described for you previously, he's saying when you do this, it's helping you to develop the awareness of the bodily sensations. This is the first foundations of mindfulness, that you need those awareness of bodily sensations, the feelings, the condition of the mind, and the mental objects. You need all four of those in order to be able to get to enlightenment. And through the breathing mindfulness meditation, this first aspect of it, where you're observant of the bodily sensations and whenever they occur and you notice them, you cut them off and let them go. That he's explaining that that's going to help you develop this first foundation of mindfulness. And something else I would like to share with you here is that he's talking about having removed craving and displeasure in regard to the world. What this is, is that as the mind is in the unenlightened state, at different times you might look at the news, you might look at what's happening in the world, you might see what's happening at your work or your job, and you might have this displeasure in regard to the world. You might see things that are happening and just feel very disgruntled and very lost that the world is doing and experiencing the things that it is. No matter what's going on in the world, there's going to be a certain amount of calamity for a period of time until more and more people learn and practice these teachings. So if you're looking at the news, if you're seeing things at work, if you're seeing things in your family and you're having this displeasure in regard to the world, and oftentimes the mind is thinking, gosh, why are people doing this? You know, why is the world functioning this way? This is where the mind struggles and has difficulties because you don't understand the natural laws of existence. There's certain craving in the mind that the mind wants the world to function according to you, according to the way your mind works in the unenlightened state, which it has this craving, anger, and ignorance. You look out at the world and it doesn't function the way you want it to function. So therefore you have this displeasure in regard to the world. But the world isn't going to function according to what's in your mind. You need to realize that, that the world is not going to function according to the way you have in your mind that it should function. So therefore with your craving, wanting it to function your way, you can experience this displeasure in regard to the world, even sadness, right? Well, what you're trying to do on this path to enlightenment is you're trying to awaken to the natural laws of existence so that you can understand how the world does function, not how the world functions according to you. When you are craving for the world to function according to you, then you're going to struggle and you're going to have difficulties. You're not going to understand the world. You're going to get frustrated and irritated. But when you awaken to the natural laws of existence and you see that the world is functioning exactly the way that the Buddha described that it would function, then you don't struggle and have difficulties anymore because you can look at the world and see that it's functioning exactly the way that he described. And you can eliminate your craving in displeasure for the world. So there's ways for you to eliminate your craving if you have that in regards to the world 
but understand that as part of what the Buddha is describing here and in another place of his teachings, he's helping you to be aware to not crave the world to be a certain way because that's where you'll struggle and have difficulties. Instead, learn, reflect, to independently verify and practice, awaken the mind to the natural laws of existence, and then you'll see the world's functioning exactly the way the Buddha describes it. So then the Buddha goes into his next part here, that having established the first foundation of mindfulness, being aware of the bodily sensations, now he's going to guide you into developing the awareness of the feelings in the mind. So here, this is the same exact content, just he's describing that particular certain section of his entire discourse on breathing mindfulness meditation and helping you to understand what to do as part of developing the second foundation of mindfulness, which is feelings as feelings. So he's just saying exactly the same thing with feelings as feelings. And again, having removed craving and displeasure in regard to the world, because that's part of what you need to do. Then he's describing the next set of things as it relates to establishing the next foundation of mindfulness, which is the condition of the mind, understanding the condition or the the various quality of the mind. And then he shares that here, mind as mind. That's what is the condition of the mind. Then the last foundation of mindfulness is having awareness of the mental objects. And again, he's using that part of his discourse where he's describing breathing mindfulness meditation to help you see that you need to practice those aspects of his guidance that he's providing in order to develop this awareness of the mental objects. And then having done that, he says, having seen the wisdom, what is the abandoning of craving and displeasure? The monk is one who looks on closely with equanimity. This is where you have calmness and composure of the mind, especially in difficult situations. Therefore, monks, on that occasion, the monk resides reflecting on mental objects as mental objects, dedicated, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed craving and displeasure in regard to the world. It is, monks, when concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated in this way that it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. I've always shared in all the programs that I teach about breathing mindfulness meditation that you're developing awareness of mind or mindfulness and concentration, the ability to focus on that breath, and then you're cutting off and letting go. And this is how you're developing the awareness of the four foundations of mindfulness. And then as you've developed the four foundations of mindfulness, then it's time to develop the seven factors of enlightenment. The seven factors of enlightenment aren't to determine if you are or aren't enlightened. They're ways to fine tune the mind. So what you're doing is you're going to be learning here about mindfulness, which is the awareness of mind. And then there's three factors of the seven factors of enlightenment, investigation, energy, and joy, that whenever you notice the mind is dull and complacent and lethargic, you arise the enlightenment factor of investigation, energy, and joy to bring the mind out of that complacent state into the middle.
And then when you notice that the mind is in this excited or elated state, you then practice the enlightenment factors of tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. That brings the mind to the middle, where now it comes out of that excited state, and now you can bring it into the middle. And it's mindfulness, the first factor of the seven factors of enlightenment, and also described in the Eightfold Path that is there to help you observe whether the mind's complacent or excited. And now you invoke the various factors of enlightenment that you need, either investigation, energy, and joy, or the tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Those are the ones that are bringing the mind out of that excited state. Okay, so here the Buddha says, and how monks are the four foundations of mindfulness developed and cultivated so that they fulfill the seven factors of enlightenment. Whenever monks, a monk resides reflecting on the body as body, on that occasion, unmuddled mindfulness is established in that monk. Whenever monks, unmuddled mindfulness has been established in a monk, on that occasion, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, on that occasion, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. Residing thus mindfully, he penetrates that teaching with wisdom, examines it, makes an investigation of it. Whenever monks, a monk residing thus mindfully, penetrates that teaching with wisdom, examines it, makes an investigation of it, on that occasion, the enlightenment factor of investigation is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of investigation. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of investigation goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. While penetrating that teaching with wisdom, examines it, makes an investigation of it, his energy is aroused without slackening. Whenever monks, a monk's energy is aroused without slackening, as he penetrates that teaching with wisdom, examines it, makes an investigation of it. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of energy is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of energy. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of energy goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. When his energy is aroused, there arises in him joy. Whenever monks, joy arises in a monk whose vitality is aroused on that occasion the enlightenment factor of joy is aroused by the monk on that occasion the monk develops the enlightenment factor of joy on that occasion the enlightenment factor of joy goes to fulfillment by development in the monk for those whose mind is uplifted by joy the body becomes tranquil and the mind becomes tranquil whenever monks the body becomes tranquil and the mind becomes tranquil in a monk whose mind is uplifted by joy. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of tranquility is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of tranquility. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of tranquility goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. For one whose body is tranquil and who is joyful, the mind becomes concentrated. Whenever monks, the mind becomes concentrated in a monk whose body is tranquil and who is joyful. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of concentration is aroused by the monk. 
On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of concentration. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of concentration goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. He becomes one who closely looks on with equanimity at the mind, thus concentrated. Whenever monks, a monk becomes one who closely looks on with equanimity at the mind, thus concentrated. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of equanimity is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of equanimity. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of equanimity goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. Whenever monks, a monk resides reflecting on feelings as feelings, mind as mind, mental objects as mental objects. On that occasion, unmuddled mindfulness is established in that monk. Whenever monks, unmuddled mindfulness has been established in a monk. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of mindfulness goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. The remaining three foundations of mindfulness should be elaborated as in the case of the first foundation of mindfulness. He becomes one who closely looks on with equanimity at the mind, thus concentrated. Whenever monks, a monk becomes one who closely looks on with equanimity at the mind, thus concentrated. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of equanimity is aroused by the monk. On that occasion, the monk develops the enlightenment factor of equanimity. On that occasion, the enlightenment factor of equanimity goes to fulfillment by development in the monk. It is monks when the four foundations of mindfulness are developed and cultivated in this way that they fulfill the seven factors of enlightenment. So here the Buddha is describing these enlightenment factors and how one leads to the other. There's other teachings where he describes what I described, which is mindfulness is practiced at all times. And then when the mind's dull or complacent, you lift it up with investigation, energy, and joy. And when it's excited, you bring it into the middle with tranquility, the concentration, and equanimity. This is part of fine-tuning the mind as you're getting closer and closer to enlightenment. Then he talks about the seven factors of enlightenment fulfilled true wisdom and liberation. How, monks, are the seven factors of enlightenment developed and cultivated so that they fulfill true wisdom and liberation? Here, monks, a monk develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, which is based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feelings, and elimination, maturing in release. He develops the enlightenment factor of investigation, which is based upon seclusion, freedom from strong feeling, and elimination, maturing in release. So he explains all the seven factors here, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, equanimity. He describes them all the same way. It is, monks, when the seven factors of enlightenment are developed and cultivated in this way that they fulfill true wisdom and liberation. So by you developing breathing mindfulness meditation, it leads to the development of the four foundations of mindfulness, which leads to the development of the seven factors of enlightenment. And it's the seven factors of enlightenment that you're practicing to allow the mind to be fine-tuned and then actually get to this enlightened mental state where you have freedom from strong feelings. The mind eliminates discontentedness. This matures in release. 
essentially you're bringing the mind to the middle and training the mind to be in this middle more and more. So when you notice with mindfulness that the mind is either sluggish or excited and you bring the mind to the middle, you're keeping the mind in the middle, not only during meditation, but in daily life as well. That calmness and composure that you experience in meditation, you would like to maintain that in your daily life. So that's what helps you to observe when the mind is in the middle. And now the more and more you keep the mind in the middle, it'll stay there for longer and longer periods of time. It's like a piece of steel. If you had a steel rod and a piece of wood and you grinded this back and forth, initially as you first get going, it's easy for that steel rod to pop out. But as you grind it back and forth more and more and more, eventually you get a nice groove there and it won't pop out. And if it does pop out, you'll notice it and then you'll be able to bring it back. But by the time you get to enlightenment or true wisdom and liberation, the mind has been in the middle for these longer and longer and longer periods of time that it just always stays there. It doesn't actually pop out. So let me see what questions you guys have on this particular discourse. Remember, you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and then I'll be able to see your questions and answer any questions that you have. All right, I'm not seeing any questions here. So let's move on to the next chapter, which is chapter four. This is another discourse of the Buddhas related to breathing mindfulness meditation. And it's similar to the one we just read, but it's a bit different. So I'm going to point out those different parts for you. It's titled Cultivating Mindfulness of Breathing Fulfills Four Foundations of Mindfulness, Seven Factors of Enlightenment, True Wisdom and Liberation another discourse. Monks, I am content with this progress. My mind is content with this progress. So arouse still more energy to attain the unattained, to achieve the unachieved, to realize the unrealized. I shall wait here at Savasati, or however that city is pronounced, for the Kamudi full moon for the fourth month. So this is the Buddha describing that he's content with the way his mind is and that as you notice that your mind has a certain amount of contentedness and peacefulness, focus on continued progress. Arise dedication, determination, and diligence. Arise that energy and that willingness to go forward and actually continue to work to achieve the unachieved, to realize the unrealized. Then he says here, or at least they're describing the situation, the monks of the countryside heard the perfectly enlightened one will wait there at this particular city on this particular day. And the monks of the countryside left in due course for this particular city to see the perfectly enlightened one. All these elder monks, all these different names of elder monks went to go see the Buddha during this time. These are well-known elder disciples of the Buddha. It says they intensively taught and instructed new monks. Some elder monks taught and instructed 10 new monks. Some elder monks taught and instructed 20, 30, 40 monks. And the new monks taught and instructed by the elder monks achieved successive stages of high distinction. On that occasion, the Upasa day of the 15th, the full moon night of this particular time frame. This is just how they identified a particular day because they didn't have the calendar like we have, like January, February, March, and a particular day. This is how they distinguished the actual time. So the perfectly enlightened one addresses them thus. 
Monks, this assembly is free from unbeneficial speech. This assembly is free from idle chatter. It consists purely of heartwood. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. Such an assembly as is worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respectful salutation, an uncomparable field of merit for the world. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. Such an assembly that a small gift given to it becomes great and a great gift greater. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. Such an assembly as is rare for the world to see. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. Such an assembly as would be worth journeying many leagues with a travel bag to see. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. In this community of monks, there are monks who are arahants with taints destroyed, who have lived the holy life, done what had to be done, laid down the burden, reached their own goal, destroyed the fetters of existence, and are completely liberated through final knowledge or wisdom. Such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who, with the destruction of the five lower fetters, are due to reappear spontaneously in the heavenly realm, and there attain final nibbana, final enlightenment, without ever returning from that world. Such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who, with the destruction of three fetters, and with the fading away of craving anger and ignorance, are once returners, returning once to this world to make an end of discontentedness. Such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who, with the destruction of the three fetters, are stream enterers, no longer subject to hell, bound for liberation, headed for enlightenment. Such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who reside devoted to the development of the four foundations of mindfulness, bodily sensations, feelings, the mind, the condition of the mind, and mental objects. Such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who reside devoted to the development of the four right kinds of striving, right effort, of the four bases of spiritual power, also known as mental power, initiative, energy, mind, investigation, of the five sense bases, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, of the five powers, confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, of the seven factors of enlightenment, mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, equanimity. Of the noble eightfold path, such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who reside devoted to the development of loving kindness, of compassion, of sympathetic joy, of equanimity, of the meditation of unattractiveness of the body, of the perception of impermanence. Such monks are there in this community of monks. In this community of monks, there are monks who reside devoted to the development of mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation. Monks, 
When mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated, it is of great fruit and benefit. When mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation is developed and cultivated, it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. When the four foundations of mindfulness are developed and cultivated, they fulfill the seven factors of enlightenment. When the seven factors of enlightenment are developed and cultivated, they fulfill true wisdom and liberation. And how, monks, is mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness of meditation, developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit? Here, monks, go on to the forest. So this is the things that we have already studied in this particular class. He goes all the way through, and then he explains Monks, that is how mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivated so that it is of great fruit and great benefit. So I'm going to teach you guys this first before we move on to the next one. So here the Buddha is talking about all these students that have come and gathered and that this grouping of students are practicing the teachings very well. That there's arahants or enlightened beings there. There's individuals who are non-returners. There's individuals who are once-returners and stream-enters. People are practicing the teachings and sharing the teachings with these new monks who are just starting to learn. And one of the things that you can gather from a discourse like this is he starts to then describe the qualities of mind that this group of students having cultivated. So here he talks about that they've cultivated the four foundations of mindfulness. So you know that that's something you need to cultivate. He talks about the four right kinds of striving. This is described in the Eightfold Path as part of right effort, where you learn to prevent unwholesome qualities from coming into the mind. You eliminate unwholesome qualities that are currently in the mind. You arise wholesome qualities that are not yet in the mind. In you support, encourage, and not allow to fade any wholesome qualities that are currently in the mind. This is the four right kinds of striving or right effort. Then he talks about the four bases of spiritual power. And I've inserted those into the discourse here so you can see those as initiative, energy, the mind, and investigation. And then there's these five sense bases. Well, there's a total of the six sense bases that you need to understand in order to get to enlightenment, but here he's referencing the five. And then the five powers, which is confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. And then he mentions the seven factors of enlightenment. And then the eightfold path, of course. That's the whole core path that's keeping all this stuff together. It's the core central teaching where everything else plugs into. So those are things that you're going to need to understand as you go forward in your journey. Of course, picking one thing at a time and deciding, you know, what is it that you're going to focus on first and then gradually build up your practice from there. So if you're hearing things in here that you have not yet developed an understanding of, then you're going to need to develop an understanding and practice. It's often the Eightfold Path that you start with. And as part of that, you're developing your meditation practice and your moral conduct. But then you start moving into some of these other teachings to deepen your understanding and practice so that you can train the mind and move it closer to enlightenment. Then he also talks here about what we call the Brahma Viharas. This is the four healthy mental states of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic, joy, and equanimity. He's saying that these 
really well-developed students are devoted to the development of these four healthy mental states. And that's why they're taught as part of the group learning program and as a way to help students in their foundational teachings to develop those as part of their practice. Then the unattractiveness of the body. There's a certain meditation that if you're having sexual cravings that you can use this in order to eliminate sexual cravings from the mind. Then there's the perception of impermanence, which you develop as part of the universal truth of impermanence and looking around the world. But there's also a meditation to realize non-self that will help you to do this as well to eliminate the fetter of personal existence view. And if you haven't learned that yet, it's in volume one, chapter 11. And you can always reach out to me and ask for any guidance on that that you like. And then, of course, there's individuals who are devoted to breathing mindfulness meditation in this well-developed assembly or grouping of practitioners. So then the Buddha goes back through the things that we learned previously in a previous discourse. Then here he's going to talk about mindfulness of breathing fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness, which is what we've already studied. Then he's going to talk about the four foundations of mindfulness fulfill the seven factors of enlightenment, which is something that we've already studied. And then he talks about the seven factors of enlightenment, fulfill true wisdom and liberation, which is what we've already studied. Okay, so here what you're getting new in this discourse is those other wholesome mental qualities that you need to cultivate as part of your journey to enlightenment. And that goes right along with all the other wholesome qualities of mind that you're looking to cultivate. Let me know what questions you guys have here. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here, so I'm going to move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 5. Here, I'm not going to actually read the entire chapter because he's actually sharing the same thing that we've already been studying, which is studying the bodily sensations and understanding that breathing mindfulness meditation is helping you to develop awareness of those bodily sensations. But then here, this is the new part, so I'll read this. Just as a skilled turner of his apprentice, then making a long turn understands, I make a long turn, or when making a short turn understands, I make a short turn, so too, breathing in long, a monk understands, I breathe in long. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, calming the bodily sensations. In this way, he resides reflecting on the body as a body internally, or he resides reflecting on the body as body externally, or he resides reflecting on the body as a body both internally and externally, or else he resides reflecting on the body, its arising factors, or he resides reflecting on the body, its vanishing factors, or he resides reflecting on the body, both its arising and vanishing factors, or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare wisdom in mindfulness. And he resides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a monk resides reflecting on body as body. So here the Buddha is describing how you need to become aware of these bodily sensations. You can do that through meditation and that's what you're doing whenever you notice bodily sensations during meditation, you should just bring the mind back to the breath, cut off any observance or any noticing of the bodily sensations that the mind has, and just bring the mind back to the breath. 
And this is what you're cultivating in meditation so that in daily life, you have that skill available to you. That as you notice the arising of bodily sensations associated with discontentedness, because with craving in the mind, it's going to produce arising of bodily sensations first, then there's going to be feelings, it's going to affect the condition of the mind, and then it's going to feed these mental objects. So as the bodily sensations are arising, you would like to cut it off and let it go. And you're training to do this in meditation. Let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions there. That's things that we've already been talking about. Here you can see the content that I've shared. Here is chapter six of volume seven, where the Buddha is going to share about mindfulness of the body. Same thing here. He's sharing all the same stuff that we've been studying. And then here at the end, he shares something new that we haven't studied yet. As he resides thus diligent, dedicated, and determined, his memories and thoughts based on the household life are abandoned. With their abandoning, his mind becomes steadied internally, quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. That is how a monk develops mindfulness of the body. So here, remember, there were people leaving the household life to ordain with the Buddha, shaving off their hair, wearing robes, collecting donations of food, and living a life of homelessness, so to speak. And this is how they were training to get to enlightenment, by leaving things behind. This is what the ordained life is about, creating this environment that's conducive to getting to enlightenment. But that's not required in order to get to enlightenment. But if you can imagine people coming out of the home and being in this community, having left behind maybe a wife or a husband or children or things like this, they might have certain thoughts and certain memories based on their household life. And what the Buddha is essentially teaching them is put the past in the past, train the mind to be in the present moment. That's what you need to do in order to get to enlightenment. If your mind is indulgent in pleasant things that occurred in the past, then that means in the present moment, you're going to have conditioned pleasant feelings. If your mind is indulging in painful thoughts from the past, then in the present moment, you're going to have painful feelings. So while here he's talking about eliminating thoughts based on the household life, what you can do this as terms of what he's guiding you to do is leave the past in the past. So whether you're in an ordained life or you're in a household life, you're going to need to accomplish the same thing. So if you've had things that have happened in your past that were very painful or very pleasurable, you're going to need to let that go and train the mind to be in the present moment, no longer longing and yearning for those pleasant things and no longer being averse to those painful things, but just training the mind to let it go and bring the mind to the middle. And you're using the mindfulness to be able to do that with your awareness of mind where you're observant of the mind moving to the past or longing for the future, you cut that off and let it go and bring the mind to the middle. And that's the dedication, the determination, and the diligence that you're applying. So don't allow the mind to dwell in those feelings or dwell in those experiences. Train the mind to let them go. And as you do, the mind's going to become more peaceful, more quieted. It's going to be brought to the singleness or concentration. When you get to enlightenment, you will still have memories of things that happened in your past, whether they were pleasant or whether they were painful, but you won't allow those to affect the condition of your mind. You'll remember that those things occurred, but they will no longer produce conditioned feelings anymore. And this is how you do that, is when you notice those thoughts arising in the mind, 
you redirect the mind perhaps. Maybe you need to go for a walk, go for a bike ride, do something else like that. But you're training in meditation so that you can internally cut off these thoughts because eventually you'll be able to do that. But early in practice, you might need to redirect the mind, like get up and go to the bathroom, wash your hands, maybe go into the kitchen or something like this. If you can go outside for a walk or ride a bike, that might be something you need to do rather than sit there on the sofa and allow the mind to dwell in those painful or pleasant thoughts because that's just allowing the mind to continue to be wired to experience conditioned feelings. What you're trying to do is break that away and now rewire the mind so that it's no longer experiencing conditioned feelings based on cravings, desires, attachments. So the longer you allow the mind to dwell in those conditioned feelings, the longer those wires are staying connected and the mind's going to keep doing that. So you would like to be diligent, dedicated, and determined. Don't be complacent and allow the mind to just sit there and dwell in painful feelings or painful memories or pleasant ones either. You need to train the mind to cut that off and let it go and reside in the present moment. And the sooner you do that, having your mindfulness well-established, then you can rewire this mind and get it to the point where it's unconditioned and it's experiencing these unconditioned mental qualities. Let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So let's move into the next chapter, which is chapter seven. This is a discourse that I often share in the group learning program and in other courses and retreats that I teach. It's going to explain to you the importance of breathing mindfulness meditation, or at least, you know, that this is a priority. There's other discourses where the Buddha specifically talks about it as a priority, but here he's going to just give you some details uh, in kind of a really short way to help you understand that breathing mindfulness meditation is indeed going to lead to your enlightenment. So it's titled Mindfulness of Breathing Leads Exclusively to Nibbana, or Enlightenment. Monks, there is one thing that, when developed and cultivated, leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge, experience, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. What is that one thing? Mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation. That is that one thing that when developed and cultivated, leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge, experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. So the Buddha isn't saying that you only need one thing to get to enlightenment. Otherwise, he would have just taught meditation and that's it, right? If this was the only thing you needed, he wouldn't have had all these other teachings that he shared over 45 years. Instead, he's saying that this breathing mindfulness meditation leads to liberation or freedom from the mind, freedom from strong feelings, elimination, peace to this direct knowledge or experience to enlightenment. Just like a car can lead you to the grocery store, but you could also walk, you could take a bike, you could do other things too, right? But that car will lead you to another destination. That's what the whole purpose of that car is to transport you from point A to point B. It's the same thing that he's describing here with meditation. Is this breathing mindfulness meditation, it leads to one thing and one thing only, and that's enlightenment. And it's helping you to cultivate the qualities that you need in the mind so that then you can apply it in daily life. So in meditation, you're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind in concentration. Those are qualities that are wholesome that you're going to need in daily life. And it's helping you to eliminate craving so that you can restrain the mind and pull it back, eliminate any clinging. 
So in meditation, you're cutting off all thoughts, realizing that you're going to have a thought. Even as an enlightened being, you're going to have a thought. You can quiet the mind, you can still the mind for a period of time during meditation as an enlightened being, but within three to five minutes, you're going to have an occasional thought during meditation, but you'll notice it right away. You'll restrain the mind and pull it back to the breath, where in the unenlightened state, you'll tend to have bombardment of thoughts, or you'll have a thought and you'll follow it and indulge in that thought for a while until you realize you need to bring the mind back. So while you're training the mind in one way, which is cutting off all thoughts, because you're trying to cultivate this quality of being able to easily let go of thoughts, along with mindfulness and concentration. In daily life, you're training to cut off all unwholesome thoughts. Any wholesome thoughts, go ahead and do those things if that's what you would like to do, but you cut off all the unwholesome thoughts that are arising in the mind. This is the same like a professional athlete. A professional athlete's gonna train in the gym in one way and then perform a sport. Someone might be a pole vaulter, and now they, in the gym, are doing weight training, cardiovascular training, agility training, and so forth and so on. But then when they go out into do their sport, they're going to do pole vaulting. It's the same thing. You're going to train in meditation one way, and then you function in daily life in another way. This is what you're doing when you're training and breathing mindfulness meditation and then practicing the Eightfold Path in daily life. So let me know what questions you guys have here. You guys know how to do that through Facebook, YouTube, or in Zoom. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions anywhere. So I am going to go ahead and move on to the next chapter, which is chapter eight. This one is titled, Concentration by Mindfulness of Breathing Leads to the Abandoning of the Fetters. This is very similar to what we've already been reading. But the Buddha is going to explain to you essentially that this breathing mindfulness meditation is going to help you eliminate the 10 fetters because previously he was talking about it leading to enlightenment. Well, the way you get to enlightenment is by eliminating the 10 fetters. So here he's specifically describing how it leads to the elimination of the fetters. Monks, concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation when developed and cultivated leads to the abandoning of the fetters. And how, monks, is concentration by mindfulness of breathing, breathing mindfulness meditation developed and cultivated so that it leads to the abandoning of the fetters? Here, monks, having gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down. Okay, so then he's going to explain all the things that he normally explains as repeated in chapter one. And then he sums it up with, it is in this way, monks, that concentration by mindfulness of breathing breathing mindfulness meditation when developed and cultivated so that it leads to the abandoning of the fetters. So you wouldn't be able to eliminate the 10 fetters without developing breathing mindfulness meditation. You need that as a baseline foundational thing. If you're going to be on the path to enlightenment, you're going to be doing meditation. You're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation quite a lot all the way through your life. Even when you get to enlightenment, you're still going to be meditating. Of course, you're going to miss days here and there. That's pretty normal for somebody who's building up their practice. And even as you get going, there might be periods of times where you'll miss a day here or there. Or you miss a session here and there. This is completely normal. Your enlightenment isn't going to be determined whether you miss a session here or there. Your enlightenment is going to be determined whether you can consistently meditate 
for one year, two years, three years, and beyond. So if you're missing a meditation session here and there, okay, you missed it. Get right back into it, right? Don't allow the mind to become complacent. You're not interested in that one session that you missed becoming one week or one month or one year of missed sessions. So if you can consistently meditate over a long-term period, along with all the other factors of the Eightfold Path, that's what's going to lead to your enlightenment, not whether you miss a session here or there. So keep that in mind so that you're not degrading yourself or negative or feeling down or feel like all is lost. Instead, just reinvigorate the mind, remain diligent, dedicated, and determined, and you'll be able to get your practice moving again and then be able to move the mind to enlightenment. Once the mind is complacent, you'd like to be able to catch it as soon as possible. That's why the mindfulness is there that awareness of mind because if you allow the mind to be complacent for many days or many weeks it's a lot harder to get the mind out of complacency when it's been complacent for an extended period of time if you can notice it soon and get the mind out of its dullness and lethargic condition then it's much easier to bring it out but if you've been complacent for a year or two or three my goodness it's really challenging to get it out of that but you can still do it so when you notice the complacency, try to notice that and then bring the mind out and get into the meditation and investigating the teachings, coming to classes, reading books, watching videos, scheduling personal guidance. You're not interested in allowing the mind to be complacent. Part of the complacency is not only just not doing meditation, not reading, not coming to class, but part of the complacency is to allow an unwholesome thought in the mind. So if you see an, an unwholesome thought and you just allow it to reside there, that's part of your complacency. So when you notice an unwholesome thought arising, you would like to cut that off and let it go and get better and better at observing that. Don't allow that to sit there and permeate in the mind. If you're noticing wholesome thoughts in daily life, Go forward with that if that's what you'd like to do. Think about it. Make a wise decision. In meditation, you're cutting off everything because you're just trying to train the mind to let go. Let me know what questions you guys have here. Okay, again, I'm not seeing any questions. So I'm going to move to the next chapter, which is chapter 9. This one is titled, Concentration by Mindfulness of Breathing Leads to the Uprooting of Underlying Tendencies. Here, it's all the same stuff. The only thing that's different is this first paragraph and the last paragraph. The Buddha is talking about uprooting these underlying tendencies. So the previous discourse, he was talking about eliminating the fetters. That's like personal existence view, doubt, wrong behavior and observances, the central desire, ill will, desire for form, desire for formless, conceit, restlessness, and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. All those 10 fetters need to be eliminated. And as you do, you're gonna be seeing these major improvements to the condition of the mind. What these underlying tendencies are, like little tiny quirks or little things that you might be doing that needs to be eliminated from the mind. Like at one time in my life, I used to have this cartilage in my ear and I could just pull on the lobe of the ear and it would click and it would click. And every so often during the day, I would just pull the ear and it would just click and click and click. And it was like the mind was stuck in the cycle, was obsessed with just clicking the ear and clicking the ear and clicking the ear. Or the same thing was with my nose because I've had my nose broken a couple times and I've had a few surgeries and I had cartilage there and I would just kind of lift my nose and it would crack and crack and crack and I would just do that repeatedly. So you need to eliminate that repetitive 
aspect of the mind, that obsessiveness of the mind, so that it's no longer on this constant cycle, this repetitive cycle. And that's what it means to uproot the underlying tendencies. So if you have things, little quirks like that, that you're doing, breathing mindfulness meditation is what's going to help you to uproot those underlying tendencies and things that you're doing. Let me know what questions you guys have here. I don't see any questions, so we'll move to the last chapter, which is chapter 10. Looks like we're finishing up a little bit more easily than I thought. So here, the title is Concentration by Mindfulness of Breathing Leads to the Full Understanding of the Path. Again, this is the same thing being repeated, but the first paragraph and last paragraph is different. He's already shared in his previous discourses that mindfulness of breathing or breathing mindfulness meditation leads to true wisdom and liberation, which if you've gotten to final knowledge or true wisdom, then you have a full understanding of the path. And that's what he's describing here and just describing it in no uncertain terms. A Buddha speaks very clear and very concise. Their teachings are going to be very crisp. They're not going to have a lot of erroneous words in their teachings. Instead, they're going to be very precise and very concise about how they communicate the teachings. They're laying down the lights to illuminate the path to enlightenment for all others. So here he's describing that by the time you train your mind in breathing mindfulness meditation, and of course you need to cultivate all those other qualities of mind and all the other factors of the path, breathing mindfulness meditation allows you to be able to develop the full understanding of the path. Because by getting the pollution out of the mind, you're going to start getting more focus and concentration, more clarity of mind and deep memory. That's what you're going to need in order to remember the teachings is that deep memory. So you're going to need to remember that and keep it in the mind in order to then be able to practice it. You're not going to be able to practice the teachings if they're just in a book. It's great that we have books nowadays and we can refer to them. But when you're in the heat of the moment, when something's going on at work or in your personal life or something, you're not going to be able to pause that person and then go run and look at the book, right? You can do that before a conversation or after a conversation in order to refresh your mind, but you're going to need to commit the teachings to memory. The Eightfold Path is very important to commit to memory so that then you can apply it in your daily life. And that's where you're going to see the most improvement when you're committing the base core line Eightfold Path to memory because now you can practice it in daily life. So let me know what questions you guys have on this chapter and I will answer any questions that you have related to this particular chapter. Okay, I'm not seeing any questions here. So what I'll do is I will just thank all of you guys for joining and appreciate your dedication, your determination, your diligence and developing your practice and developing your meditation practice. This is really needed for you. It's going to help you. It's going to help those close to you. And it's going to help all of humanity. And this is the reason why I thank students at the end of each class, because the more dedicated you are to your practice and developing it, that's going to help all these people in the world. Yes, it's helping you, but it's helping those close to you and so many people all throughout the world because you're causing less and less harm in the world. The Buddha describes in some of his teachings how breathing mindfulness meditation is the highest quality of wholesome gamma that you could generate. That last book that we studied in this program was about the natural law of gamma. 
Well, breathing mindfulness meditation is the highest quality of gamma because you're not causing harm to anyone at all and you're training your own mind to arise those wholesome qualities and eliminate the unwholesome qualities. So this is the very best thing you can do is develop your breathing mindfulness meditation practice. And you'd like to get up to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or more, understanding that you're going to need to gradually build up to that. Maybe it takes you six months, a year, or two years to build up to that type of frequency because you're going to need to clear out certain aspects of your life, whether it's scrolling Facebook or whether it's other unbeneficial things that you're just spending a lot of time on. Maybe you spend a little bit of time in Facebook. Maybe you spend a little bit of time watching YouTube videos, but you need to balance that out with investigating the teachings and developing your meditation practice. So as you clear out more and more of these unbeneficial things in your life and just doing a little bit of it here and there, then it'll free up some more time for you to be able to then dedicate to developing your meditation practice among all the other aspects of your practice that you'll need to develop. So thank you for attending class. Thank you for listening to this on the replay. Thank you for all your questions and your dedication to building and developing your life practice. Next class, we're going to be learning the next 10 chapters, which is chapter 11 through chapter 20. And then tomorrow in the group learning program, I'm in the second part of a three-part series where I'm going to be sharing the moral conduct section of the Eightfold Path. This is the part that the Buddha really focused brand new students on really closely. So if you're needing help with your moral conduct and understanding the moral conduct of the Eightfold Path, that would be a perfect class for you. Because as long as you're causing harm in the world through your moral conduct, that's going to be coming back to you. So you're going to need to develop your moral conduct to the point where you're not causing harm to other beings. Because as long as you do, that harm is going to come back to you. So even if you were meditating for 23 and a half hours per day, but for 30 minutes a day you went outside and you were speaking harsh and aggressive and hostile with people, your mind is not going to be peaceful and joyful. Your life is not going to be peaceful and joyful. You're going to need this moral conduct and all the other teachings. And then, of course, on Wednesday, we're in the third part of our four-part series on breathing mindfulness meditation. So you're welcome to join that as well. So we'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.